We're going to be in Psalm 16, the second half of it today, but I want to read uh, all of the psalm to us. Uh, And so let's read Psalm 16 together today. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. For you, uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, the ways you have been at work in our lives. God, just this week we have seen you uh, just be so, so generous and gracious and fill our lives and our time and our energy with joy. God, what a joy this week has been. God, we pray that as we uh, come before your word, you would remind us, you would teach us, you would um, instruct us about the source of our joy, about where we can find our truest joy. I pray that you'll bless this time we have in your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I uh, spent a little bit of time this week reading about the security detail for the President of the United States. I uh, am shocked. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be, but I am surprised at the level of detail that all the security people go to to keep the president, whoever's in office at the time, safe from potential threats in any form or fashion. We, I would expect a, a you know, around-the-clock type service, but I, I did not realize, I, I thought they were just, you know, they're just part of the Secret Service, but they are, but there is a special division within the Secret Service called the Presidential Protection Department, and they go through a whole different layer of all kinds of other training in addition to just being a part of the already difficult Secret Service uh, group. Wherever that group goes, or wherever the, the president goes, there is an incredible amount of details for the security people to figure out every possible angle, every place of exposure, everything they do. They take over entire hotels if they're going to stay at a hotel so that there's no danger above or below the, the president. Uh, everything the president eats is watched meticulously. There is a Secret Service agent watching over any kitchen that is preparing food for the president. And then the one, the one detail that I thought was just fascinating, and this is, I assume this is true, Google said it, so, you know, if it's not, you know, I don't know, blame Google. But I found it multiple places, so I'm assuming it's true. There is always somebody nearby carrying extra bags of the president's blood type, just in case he were to need a transfusion. <laughs> How about that level of security, like just in case it's on hand. Any attempts to, to take the president's life 
uh, are not just normal crimes. They get this whole different layer of all these different extra things that are going on. It is an insane level of security. Zero privacy. <laughs> the president has zero privacy, but an, an enormous amount of security. Now, we as normal uh, people don't need that kind of secret service level of security in our day-to-day -day lives, but we probably have all been in some situation or another where some extra security would have been nice. Whether you're driving or, or walking somewhere dark or late at night, all of a sudden you, you just have this sense of, I don't know what's around the corner. And having a you know, very highly trained presidential protection department secret service person around would actually not be a bad thing. You know? we, we, we might would appreciate that. It'd be nice to have the peace of mind to have a, a higher sense of security. So I, I wanna ask you where, what gives you a sense of security? What gives you in your day-to-day -day life, where, where does your sense of security come from? Maybe it's just your trust in society in general. Uh, maybe it's some kind of special training you have or tools you have or protections you've set in place, people you've put around you. But let me ask you this, beyond just the, the threat of you know, some random attack, on a much deeper level, what, what makes you feel safe? What gives you a sense of true security? We, we may associate being insecure with kind of a like preteen or teen or early adolescence. We kind of, as we're kind of learning to be you know, comfortable in our own skin, we all have gone through periods of insecurity in life. Uh, but that doesn't, we, we, we grow and we mature in certain ways. But even as adults, who has not faced insecurity when you, when you come into some high pressure situation? When, when something is on the line, when the people are counting on you, we, we all wrestle with a sense of, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm strong enough, I'm good enough, that I can manage this task or this opportunity, and we feel insecure about that. Uh, we may hide that in different ways. Some people respond to insecurity by being shy and, and kind of backing away from something. Other times we mask our insecurity with pride and bravado and saying, oh, I, you know, being real bold and brash and pretending, at least, you know, fake it till you make it type type uh, understanding. Insecurity is a, is a type of fear, and, and there's a, a certain level that's natural, but uh, we have to acknowledge whatever, no matter how confident you get or how strong you become, whatever else it may be, we're all going to face dangers at one time or another, right? There's going to be times we face something that, that we should have a sense of fear. If you plan to ever travel more than just a couple miles from home, you're probably going to get in some kind of vehicle, and that's terrifying. <laughs> Have you seen drivers around here? You know, I mean, like, if you decide to go a little further away and you're not going to be able to drive there, you get in an airplane, like this, you know, metal cylinder on its side shooting through the air. Like, that's terrifying. And yet, we face those kind of things all the time. Loving people is a risk. It's risky to get involved in a relationship. It's, in, it's risky to have kids. It's risky to do just about anything, to take a career step, to to some kind of uh, pursuing some kind of expertise or skill or investments or whatever. We take risk all the time. So in all those things, where is your place of security? What do you rest in? What is it that gives you assurance to be able to take your next breath? You were thinking, I didn't want really to think about it. I'm just kind of go around until you ask me all these questions. Now I'm not sure where my security is. No, we, we all find, we all need something. We all lean on something. What, what is it? that we look to for security. Last week we started in Psalm 16 and asked primarily about our joy because that is the major theme of Psalm 16. But beginning in verse 1, he actually he starts 
with a, from a different place other than joy. He starts with a question about security. David prays this in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preservation, safety, security. That's, that's what he's asking for. That's what he desires from the Lord. He's asking for that kind of security. That's where Psalm 16 begins. But then the first half of the psalm doesn't spend a whole lot of time focusing on security. It talks about uh, uh, the preservation. Then it goes on to talk about false gods and people who worship them versus people who follow after the one true God. And then meditates on who God is and what He's done and, and, and what it looks like to, to treasure Him, etc. Until you get down to verse 8, it then circles back to the idea of security. And we read this. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. What I want you to see at the outset from Psalm 16 is that the question he asks, his, his request in verse 1 is for security. And by the time you get to verse 8, it's not a question, it's a declaration. Because of who God is, he's saying, I stand secure. So I want you to be encouraged by this today. In the presence of the Lord, we will not be shaken. In the presence of the Lord, we will not be shaken. Like being outside in the middle of a, in the summer and there's a pop-up thunderstorm and you look and you know the clouds are coming in, the wind's blowing, you start to hear thunder out in the distance and you look up ahead and there's a big picnic shelter or some kind of awning and you're like, if I can just make it there, I know I'll be safe. So you take off running, the rain starts to fall, you jump in just inside when the rain, just the bottom falls out, there's lightning, there's thunder everywhere, but you're safe. You found a refuge, you found a place where you're not drenched in wet or being struck by lightning. So David's experience was he was longing for a refuge, longing for security, longing for somebody to preserve his life. And by the time you get to verse 18, he is, verse 8, he has stepped inside the shelter and he says, I will not be shaken. How, how did he do that? Where, how did he get to that place of security? How do we find that kind of security in the Lord? Well, I'm saying it's in the presence of the Lord. So a good question to ask right there is, wait, wait a second. I've done some Bible reading and know some things about God. Don't we say God is present everywhere? He is omnipresent. So why would, should, shouldn't somebody have stopped David and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't need to like seek out the Lord's presence, David. He's everywhere. So you always got security. And that is true. But as we'll see, he's talking about more than just the reality of God being present everywhere, isn't he? There's something more here that he's longing for. I'm, I'm stealing the word present from the verse 11. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. We're going to see that in a minute. We'll come back to that, that verse in a second. But there, there's apparently a, a, an alternative. Because there's a place of not having full joy or not having security. And that's somewhere else. But in God's presence, there is this security and this joy. What is it that he's talking about? Is he just talking about the general presence, how God is everywhere? I think he's talking about something more. In this case, God's presence here is about our awareness of, our attention to, and our relationship with God and with His presence. It's not just in general that God exists everywhere. It's that I, I know it, and I experience it, and I can feel it, and I, I know He is with me. Notice the two things He does, verse 7 and 8. He says, 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Again, in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. So in verse 7, he says, I worship, I praise God. In verse 8, he says, I'm meditating upon, thinking about, setting my mind on God. Or if David wanted to use some alliteration and catchy mission words in English, he might have said, I am applauding God and abiding in God. See how that works out? I didn't write the Bible. I'm just reading it to you. But those are our words that we use here at Infinity. We exist to applaud God, abide in Jesus Christ, and advance His kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 I, is about blessing the Lord. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, setting our mind, thinking about God. He's praising. He's applauding God. He's saying, this is who I am. That's, what, that's all last week. We're talking about uh, last week in first part of Psalm 16. The Lord is our treasure. He is our, our, our refuge. He, he is our, the sovereign Lord over all things. He is the one we can count on. He's our counselor, verse 7. He's, he's saying, I've, I've just rehearsed all these things I know about how great God is, and so now I'm applauding Him. I'm praising Him. I'm worshiping Him. And more than that, I am bringing Him to mind. I'm thinking about, I'm considering Him. I am setting the Lord always before me. Now, I'm not, um, you know, wise enough to pull these things together on my own, but it just so happens that the verse that, you know, Griffin and Simon read for you, we did Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 with our kids this week. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And I love that phrase. And when we first did that, my, my own daughter Lois came to me because that's weird English. She's like, what does it mean for my mind to be stayed? Like that is, we, don't, we don't talk like that, but I like that. My mind is stayed, it's centered, it's focused, it's not bouncing around. And I tell you, it, does anybody have a hard time keeping your mind stayed on any one thing? I read this week, I don't know if this is true or not, but our attention spans like two seconds worse than a goldfish, I think, or something like that. <laughs> Which really is bad news for the guy playing to preach for like 30 minutes. So I don't know how that's working. But we, we they track this, you know, I don't know how they track this, but Ever since the invention of that smartphone in your pocket, we, we, our attention span has gotten smaller and smaller. You know, if you ever pay attention to your TV shows, how often the camera changes? Count, like put, your, put a stopwatch and count when the scene changes. It's, it's an average of less than three seconds. They're gonna, I can't imagine editing that video. Like every three seconds, I gotta do this for an hour, hour and a half, two hour movie, whatever, you know? Every three seconds, because our attention spans are so short. I, I struggle with this all the time. I sit down to work on something, and I got this thought and this idea bouncing all over the place. How, how are you going to find security? How are you going to find rest? How are you going to find peace if your mind is bouncing all over? We pray with David. I, I, I set the Lord always before me. We pray with Isaiah, the, the prophet. You keep him in perfect, perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That's where we want to be abiding in Christ, abiding in the Lord. My mind is stayed on you. No wonder we don't have peace. No wonder we're, we're fulfilled with all kinds of anxieties and fears because our mind can't so often struggles to wrap what, what really matters. What is really true? What is reality? It is the Lord. He is the rock. He is the refuge. But we're too busy focused on other things. In the presence of the Lord, that is where we won't be shaken. When our minds are focused on God, when we're attentive to His presence, that's when we won't be shaken. When we remember that He is sovereign, 
that He is Lord, that He is good, He is loving, He is protecting His children. That's when we remember his, our security. Verse 8, he says, David says, the Lord is at His right hand. At His right hand. It's a metaphor oftentimes used for the way that some, when somebody would go into battle, somebody who's at, your, who's at your right hand, who's your shield bearer, or going into court, who's your advocate, who's the lawyer fighting for you in court. He is an advocate, somebody for you. He's saying, we, we might say, uh, he's got your back, you know. He's saying, the Lord himself. <laughs> You're going into battle, and you got God you, as, as, your, as your main general or whatever. You know, I'm, going to, I'm going into court, and Jesus is my advocate. He is my lawyer. I, I'm okay. <laughs> like, I think I'd rest and say, all right, I feel secure. Jesus is the one there. That's what David's saying. I've got the Lord. That's because of that, he can say, I will not be shaken. I think it's worth drawing a contrast between this picture of David's heart and one we saw earlier this summer in kind of our scattering uh, study through the different psalms. In Psalm 30, uh, David, same, same author, uh, different psalm, said, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And when we, saw, when we studied that psalm earlier this summer, we noticed how in that moment, David was self-reliant. He was self-focused. And so that led to God disciplining him. He was saying in his own power, in his own willpower, I shall never be moved. He thought that all the prosperity around him meant he was somebody that was in control. And the Lord, in that case, knocked him down a notch. said, no, 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 David, it's not about you. And here he is, he's admitting that he needs help. He's asking for God to be his refuge. And when God is his refuge, then he can say, I shall not be shaken. Because he's looking at the Lord. He recognizes his need and that God has met him. Do you see the difference? Where is your confidence? If you go into life, your job, parenting, marriage, whatever it may be, and you're saying, I, I, I shall never be moved. I, I got this. I'm in control. It's not going to last very long. At least won't last more than a lifetime, right? But when you look to the Lord and you say, because the Lord is always, at my, always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. That's saying my confidence isn't in me. My security, my rest, my peace, it's in God. That's where it comes from. He is the source of my security. Where, where do you lack security? Where are you insecure? What is it that gives you fear and anxiety and worry and concern? What can you lay before the Lord? What can you, where in your life do you need to cry out, Preserve me, O God. I need your help. Where do you need to confess that insecurity? Admit it. Where can you acknowledge that we are human? We can't control it all. If you can start with that heart, confessing, begging, pleading, then you can get to verse 8 where you can say, Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. We can trust in him. The presence of the Lord, that's where we will not be shaken. But I want you to see as we started to uncover in Psalm 16. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. David did not have this goal of going from just being fearful to just, you know, no fear, a lack of fear, just back to neutral. There's something better. God offered something even more. He doesn't take us just from insecurity to like boredom or, you know, sitting on our lazy boys, doing nothing, whatever, maybe, you know. There are plenty of people in the world, I'm sure, who don't feel insecure or don't feel unsafe, but they don't have joy. And that's what David says God offers us. I want you to see this, that God clearly invites us when he invites us to a relationship with him, to enjoying his presence. 
It's more than just a lack of fear. It's a life of joy. In the presence of, Lord, of the Lord, not only will we not be shaken, but in the presence of the Lord, there are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of the Lord, there are pleasures forevermore. I want you to see this transition in verse 9. It starts with a therefore, which is always a good reason to go back, make sure you understand what was said right ahead of it, and then see the connection between them. Usually it's a cause and cause type relationship. Usually it's a this, therefore, that, or this, which caused that. That's usually how the Bible argues. Other people, you know, it's how we talk, right? So here we have in Psalm 16, he's got a plea for preservation. I'm begging you to be a refuge for me. And then he meditates on who the Lord is, his goodness, his gifts, his sovereignty, that he is our treasurer and our counselor, that he's always at our right hand, that we have security in him. And then he says, now considering all this and all he's done, therefore, verse 9, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And then again, he reiterates the security he has in God. My flesh dwells secure. He's got security. I have the Lord. I know him. I meditate on him. He grants me security. He grants me peace. And therefore, I have joy. Therefore, I have joy. Let me ask you, is, is that your experience? Is your experience with God one filled with joy? Or are we caught up in all kinds of other things? A little, sometimes life is a little bit, you know, just kind of muted, mild happiness. And I wonder what we're missing out on in God. I wonder what we're missing out on in truly experiencing Psalm 16 type joy. My, my whole, he says in verse 9, my whole being rejoices. Do you, do you have that kind of joy in God? Where everything, it's like, it's like saying head to my toe, you know, from the inside out. I'm just overflowing with joy. Or if that's not your experience, or you're just kind of muted, or are you just downright unhappy, <laughs> grumpy, irritable? Are we, are we the kind of people that are overflowing with joy, or are we overflowing with something else? Are, are, we, are we contagious in that we, we light up a room when we walk into it, or is it more like we're infectious and that we make everybody sick around us? right? How, how is your demeanor? How is your life? What, what do you spew out around you? Is it joy or is it something else? I'll tell you, if you do not know the Lord, it is impossible for the Spirit of God to be flowing through you to other people. You're not going to be filled with joy if you don't have the source of all joy, which is God Himself in you. The prayer of verse 1 is the same thing that we as all sinners Pray to God for us to be born again. Preserve me, O God, from the wrath my sins deserve. Was it not for God's act of salvation and God's work of preservation, we, we would all be condemned under the wrath of God. That is what we deserve. But instead, because of what Christ has accomplished for us in paying for our sins, taking the wrath we deserve, we instead can say, I take refuge in your Son, Jesus Christ. He has taken on, He has absorbed the wrath I deserve so I can have a relationship with you. If you do not have that, you will not be filled with joy. It may be temporary. You may have a temporary Pollyanna type attitude of going through life just trying to keep a, a, a positive attitude, but it will not last. At least, again, not for more than a lifetime. 
So if we do not know the Lord, we will not have joy. But what's unfortunate is that even inside the church, of people who are Christians, how often are we filled with something other than joy? We're spewing something other than life to those around us. Why is that? Well, what are you setting before you? What are you abiding in? What is your mind stayed on? What is it that you focus on? Are you attentive to the reality of God Himself? Are you attentive to who He is and what He has done for you? Or are you focused on your problems? Are you focused on yourself? Are you attentive to just your own needs? One of the greatest things about having, you know, 100 kids running around here is there was always something that needed to be done this week, you know? There wasn't time to think about what I wanted. Like, I just got to chase kids around, and it was awesome. At the end of the week, I'm really sore and tired, and I realized, oh, I do have needs, but, you know, we got to focus on something else, and it was wonderful, right? Are you attentive to your, are you focused on your own life, your own needs, your own desires, your own wants, or are you setting before you the reality of God? Are you considering, pondering, meditating on Him? Just as a side note, what we're going to do for the fall, Lord willing, in our sermon series, we're going, to, we're going to study the attributes of God, characteristics of God. It's a little different sermon series, but I, I, what I wanted, well, the reason I want to do that is so often what comes to our mind, we, we, we don't think very much about God at all. And if we do, we just say, you know, He's good and great and stuff, right? But the Bible is filled with rich descriptions of who He is. So I'm jumping ahead to September. But anyway, that's where we're going. It, what, is your, what is your mind stayed on? What are you filling your mind with? One study I read says that we average, we, we iPhone owners touch our phones 2,617 times a day. And I really am suspicious of that number because that's a lot. Maybe that's every thumb tap. I don't know. But I do believe the other two stats, two and a half hours a day split up over 76 different sessions. So that's an average of every 12 minutes we touch our phones. Every 12 minutes. Let me tell you, what do you get done in life in 12 minutes that's of any deep, eternal, lasting value. Not a whole lot. If our minds are so distracted by the beeps and buzzes and honks and whatever else your phone does and whatever else is going on in life, I, it's going to be very hard for your mind to be stayed on the Lord. Is your mind stayed on His greatness, that He is a refuge for you in trial, that He is a counselor? Verse 7 talks about, He gives me counsel in the night. My heart instructs me. And speaking of the Spirit moving in us to give us wisdom and discernment for life, it's going to be really hard for you to be attentive to the still, quiet voice of the Lord if our minds and hearts are stayed and distracted on other things other than the Lord. You know what else plagues me, and therefore I'm imposing on you as an application of this text <laughs> that steals my joy? Hurry. <laughs> hurry. I'm reading on this, studying on this right now, because I'm always in a hurry. One author said, love, joy, peace are all at the heart of all, are all at the heart of all Jesus is growing in the soul of your life. Do you believe that? Love, joy, peace. And then he says this, all three are incompatible with hurry. How much joy do you have when you're rushing your kids out the door five minutes late for something? <laughs> I'll tell you, I, my worst parenting moments are those moments. And I spend a lot of moments that way. When, when Psalm 16 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy, if you ask my kids, when we're five minutes late for school, hey, in dad's presence, is there fullness of joy right now? 
The answer is no. The answer is no. If we're spending our lives distracted, in a hurry, in a rush, buzz this, bing that, whatever, it's really hard for our minds to be stayed on the goodness, on the refuge, on the counsel, on the sovereignty of God. But when we can pause long enough to say, God is here with us. God is present with me. He, I, I know the creator of the galaxies. I know the one who gave his son so that I could have a relationship with him. I know the one of all mercy and grace. When our mind can be stayed on that, whew, there's joy, there's peace, there's love. I want to kill the things that kill my joy. I want to kill the things that kill my joy so I can practice the presence of God, enjoy His pleasures forevermore. Which brings us to verse 11, the crowning jewel of this psalm. Derek Kidner wrote about verse 11. This verse is unsurpassed for the beauty of the prospect it opens up in the words of utmost simplicity. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that beautiful? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And one mistake I, I hear people make in this verse, and understanding this verse, is they misread the first line. You hear what the first line said? It says, you make known to me the path of life. The way we mistakenly read it is, you make known to me my path, that I should take in life. And this is, this is, this is a classic American individualism of, uh, of rewriting the Bible to say what we think it's going to say, right? But it doesn't say, you make known to me my path that I should take in life. It's not as if David was, was saying, I had, I had some options before me, God. I, I could have been, uh, uh, been a tent maker or a, a lawyer or a king of Israel, and you made known to me this one, king of Israel. It was not that there are, are little bitty unique paths that, that God... Now, God is sovereign of those things. Verse, verse 7, He's my counselor. So He does give us direction in all those things. But that's not what verse 11 is about. Verse 11 is not about the little bitty paths that all of us take in life. Verse 11 is about the path, the great, awesome, one, unique path to life. The, he says, you make known to me the path of life. Not a path that you could take. Not good, you know, versus better, versus best, right? It's not the path. There's one path to life. You make known to me that path. What's that path? In your presence. The path is the presence of the Lord. It's walking with the Lord forever. That's the path of life. God is saying there is, a, there is something open to you. There is a, a path open to you. There are really only two paths in life, with God or without the presence of the Lord, life, joy, peace, or without God, death, destruction, and all that that ends up in. The path of life is opposite to the path of death. The path of joy is the opposite to the path of sorrows. Praise God that He has made known the path of life so that we can live in relationship with Him. Verse 8 had said, God is at our right hand, meaning He's got our backs, but then the, the right hand is used a little differently in verse 11. Here I said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That couldn't mean 
that we have God's back. He, he doesn't need us to have his back. What does it mean here? What's the right hand mean here? This is a, a, a describing the gifts. This is what God gives us. He gives us the gift of his presence. He gives us joy. He gives us his presence. First, uh, Psalm 110, one most common psalm quoted in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. That's God speaking, foretelling about Jesus, can be sitting at God's right hand, at the Father's right hand, and he's saying, This is this is a gift. All the enemies of the world are gonna be a footstool to you. Jesus gets to sit at God's right hand. And yet here is verse eleven, David saying about himself, and therefore about us who know Jesus, at your right hand are pleasure pleasures forevermore. We get to be at the right hand of God. Are you kidding me? Woo! That's a gift. That's a gift. Now, he says something a little strange in that verse, though. He says, pleasures forevermore. That's a long time, David. You sure? Like forever? Forever? Or just like till the end of your life? Well, verse 10, he says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is a description of the grave, or let, my ho let your Holy One, speaking of himself, talking about himself, see corruption. He's saying, you're not going to let me die. Well, wait a second, wait a second. I can do some math. David lived like, you know, 2,000 years ago, four, I mean, 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Christ. So I haven't met King David. Where is he? Has he died? Well, Acts chapter 2 quotes this psalm and helps us understand it just a little bit more. If you know Acts chapter 2, it's right after Jesus has just ascended to be back with God the Father. And he told his disciples, hang out right here in Jerusalem until something amazing is going to happen. So they pray and they wait. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, so it's been 50 days since Jesus died, and then 47 or whatever since he resurrected. And they're waiting. And then something amazing happens. God shows up in the form of his spirit, descending like tongues of fire. People from all different nations hear the gospel preached in their native language. A lot of them spoke Greek, the, the, the most common language of the time. But it's like everybody coming together, and they hear, they hear the gospel preached in French and German and all these different languages. And they're like, what is going on? Peter stands up, gets everybody's attention, quotes Joel to explain this happened. We, we knew this was coming. The prophets said something like this would happen. And then he goes to preach the gospel. He wants to tell them the good news about Jesus. Now, if you didn't know Acts chapter 2, and you didn't know what he was about to quote, and you only had the Old Testament, what passage would you pick to preach the gospel? Like this is 50 days after Jesus resurrected. The New Testament hasn't been written. Peter's got the job of preaching. What we do every Sunday, I stand up, I read you a passage, I explain it to you. That's preaching, expository preaching. Peter is going to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost. What text does he pick? Psalm 16. He reads to them what's in our version 8 through 11. He says this. Uh, this is, you know, I'm reading out of Psalm 16, but it's quoted and you can look in Acts chapter 2. I have set the Lord always before me because he's my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what Peter stands up and preaches. And I said, Amen, right? No, they're confused. So then Peter adds this, Acts 2, 29-33. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both, both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, 
that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades or Sheol, the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we were all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Do you hear what He said? He said when David wrote that, he was prophesying not about himself, but about Jesus. When, Jesus, when David proclaimed in Psalm 16, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let my body die. He wasn't primarily talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus thousand years before Jesus ever lived. Wow. God is good. Similarly, in Paul, Acts chapter three, 13, Paul preaches the same sermon, basically, from, from Psalm 16, verse 10. But here's what I want you to know. For everybody who now believes in Jesus, that truth is now true for you, too. In the presence of Christ the Lord, we have assurance of resurrection. Psalm 16 becomes a psalm you can sing with faith if you believe in Jesus. You can have the same assurance of eternal pleasures in God's presence because of what Jesus did. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, Psalm 16 was really about Jesus, and now it is about you, for everybody who believes in Him. Your body will not ultimately just be stuck in a grave. There is a promised resurrection. There is new life and eternal life forevermore in the presence of God, for all who believe in Him. This resurrection is not just uh, a theoretical one or you know, a mind game or something. No, your bodily resurrection, when Christ comes back, we get to be with God forever, enjoying His pleasant, pleasure in His presence. We get to face death, the worst enemy, and say, you have no power over me because Jesus has defeated you forever, forever. I don't know about you, but there are days where I, I, I rejoice in, I celebrate, I delight in the resurrection, I delight in the presence of God. And there are days I don't. There are days where I sing Psalm 16 with the full gumption it deserves, and there are days I don't. And I wonder if we would fight for our joy in those moments with things like Psalm 16, that we would meditate on God, we would consider His greatness, we would set our minds on Him. And then he would fill us with joy. So Shane and Shane sing a song, I close with this, called God of Ages Past, which comes out of places like this. And they sing this. If my hope, in Christ, if my hope is Christ alone, if where you are is where I'm home, if knowing you is my delight, if in God alone I'm satisfied, if you are the one who holds my future, if your love is worth searching for, If you are the one, if you are the treasure, if you are the Lord, then won't you come and break this heart of stone? Start a fire in these broken bones. Here's my soul. It has been exposed to you. O God of ages past, convince my heart at last. Come tell me of all I have in you. There is a fight for joy right there. Pleading with God, break this heart of stone. Remind me of who you are. Remind me of your presence, because in your presence there is security, and there is joy, and there is your pleasures forevermore because of Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for the joy of knowing you. God, if we are honest, we go through life with so much less joy than we should. God, we look to what you've accomplished. God, you're our refuge. You're, you're our, our place of security. You're the one that gives us counsel day by day. You're the one that shapes us and directs us and guides us. You're the one that has picked us up out of the grave. You're, you have put us on a path of life. You have given us a hope and a future and a promise of a resurrection. And yet so often, God, our hearts are anything but joyous, anything but joyous. So God, we plead that you would move in us, that you would shape us. You would give us joy in you. Because God, we know there is nothing better than knowing you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.